Welcome to another very special Halloween episode of Cinema Smorgasbord. Yeah, this is our one of our free-form episodes, and I'm here, of course, I'm Doug Tilly, and I'm here with Liam O'Donnell. Liam, how are you doing today? You know, I'm excited for the spooky season, Doug. Yeah, it's coming up uh, faster every day. Where I am currently in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, the leaves have changed, Liam. We're getting a, a very colorful fall season, uh, kind of out out. Uh, of character for where I live. Usually you get it maybe for a couple of days and then a big windstorm hits. But no, it's very nice, very fall-like here. I'm enjoying it. I'm feeling uh, comfortable, snugly even. How about where you are, Liam? I mean, I don't really need the weather to conform for me to be into the season. Like, I started decorating when I still had shorts on. So, like, I don't – I'm okay with it not really being that fall-like. However, the turn has come. It, there, there was literally, like – it was like a week of, like – the weather flirting between 60 and 70 degrees and then Whatever just that is. it hit a, right sure <laughs> and then it just and then it just hit a wall and got cold just like yeah. immediately like really cold and now we're having a brief chicago area has a lot of like hints that like it's going to be a little warm again and then it gets immediately cold after sure so this last week this weekend coming up is going to be the last sort of like breath of tolerable weather and then it's supposed to like dive into freezing temperatures again and i'm like it's not even halloween yet guys liam we don't do a lot of these off model episodes and really off model i really mean it because our categories on cinema smorgasbord they're very regimented we have a structure right so this is right. loose but we wanted we definitely wanted to um follow up our episode from last year where we talked about two Eh, somewhat current, certainly of that year, horror films. And we're doing it again on this episode, Liam. We're going to talk about 2022's Glorious and 2022's Speak No Evil, two very, very, very different horror movies. Um, and we'll talk about why we chose those in just a little bit. You know, on our uh, episode from last year, one of the things I asked you was about your Halloween traditions. Uh, since we've already, you know, covered that territory, I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite costume that you've ever had for Halloween, Liam? You know, I don't have a strong track record of Halloween costumes, honestly. Uh, I've had a lot of um, things I just threw on because I needed a costume, you know, where I didn't put a lot of thought into it, unfortunately. Sure. Uh, but I will say um, uh, two, actually, I want to I wanna mention. Please. One, one is super cute, and so I will focus on a little less, which is... Uh, when Suze was pregnant with Maeve, we went to a Halloween party as two halves of an avocado, and we made oh, the costumes uh -huh. ourselves. Very yeah, good. yeah, yeah. It's very. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those things that's like, it's super corny and cute, but also it was far better executed than most of my costumes. Sure. I'm, I, I'm so convinced that if I were to wear a real costume, it must be perfect in every way. So I just mm. give up every year instead, or I do something really half-assed, you know, um, because I just want to avoid the pressure of it all. Uh, but when I was a younger child, I could not let go of that pressure, and I made my mom do all kinds of crazy stuff. Or rather, I would suggest she could do it, and then – she, who I think probably also has uh, undiagnosed ADHD, would make those things happen. So I <laughs> wanted to be the Wolfman one year. Oh, I believe ah. this was in 
first or second grade. I think first grade. I wanted Ooh. to be the Wolfman. And my mom took this old flannel shirt that I had and she cut up a bunch of wigs and she oh. like hot glued <laughs> them to the collar and the sleeve and stuff and gave me a crazy wig and then drew, you know, used like oil makeup on my face to make it look all furry. And I was the Wolfman, you know, Holy it was, shit. It was, it was full awesome. Jack Pierce on old Liam O'Donnell there. Yeah, no, totally. It was super cool. I mean, do, do I know how actually accurate it was? No, because, um, again, also making me think my mom has undiagnosed ADHD. She only took, I believe, 20 pictures of me from the ages of, like, <laughs> 5 to uh, 20. <laughs> so, like, she just would forget to take pictures. So there are no pictures of me in almost any of my Halloween costumes. Even the ones that worked when I was a kid, there's no pictures of me. Uh, there's also very few pictures of of me from my childhood, and it's not because there's not a lot of photos. It's just that I was the third boy in a row. Oh, sure, yeah. So at that time, you know, my my parents just stopped giving a shit at that point. And I do have a couple of pictures of uh, Halloween costumes that when I was in elementary school, you'll find this very exciting, Liam. I think it was my cousin. Maybe he made this costume first because I can't imagine one of uh, someone who directly, uh, like my parents or something, making it. But I went to school as Mac Tonight, the... Uh, mascot for mcdonald's from the mid to late 80s do you remember this mac tonight character yes i do he was like a big moon his head was a moon uh and uh quite notoriously at this point do you know who played mac tonight no actually it was played by doug jones in his fourth hollywood job ever i did not know that well, there you go. That's pretty exciting. You learned something here on this Halloween episode. Uh, but my favorite costume I ever did, Liam, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I threw a Halloween party. And I did not have much money at that time period. And I did not have a girlfriend. And I don't didn't have a wife, certainly. Uh, neither. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Uh, but I really wanted to go all out and make it as good as it could possibly be. So I rented this like small hall, invited all my friends. I got dry ice. I had a projector showing movie trailers. And I rented a Leatherface costume. Uh, with, so I had like a little chainsaw, like an actual real chainsaw, which probably wasn't a good idea, but it couldn't do anything. Uh, and a full Leatherface costume. And uh, I went and I had this great party. And uh, people were supposed to kind of donate to help me pay for this, but someone stole all the money. And I got blackout drunk, so I can't remember any of it. Uh, and also, I kind of maybe damaged some of the costume because I was having too good of a time. And uh, But there are some pictures from it. And I did look like Leatherface, Liam, because I'll tell you, when you look like I look, there's like only three people you can dress as for Halloween. And one of them is Leatherface. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> you can see how I'd make a good Leatherface, though, right? I mean, just in that you're a large person, yeah. Yeah, but, but I'm like a hulking, you... a hulking person. <clears throat> but I don't want people to think that you making a good Leatherface has anything to do with your face. What do you mean? It's not that you look crazy. Like, Leatherface looks crazy. Well, Leatherface is wearing a mask made of human skin. Right, that really that's does what I'm saying. Contribute. People might think that you <laughs> look like you're wearing a mask made of human leather when in reality. Oh, just like naturally, like on my everyday yeah. life. Yeah. No, I have a beard that you couldn't really make that work uh, if that was the case. <laughs> no, people know what I'm all about. They know that I'm I'm basically... That my face is stitched together, uh, a la human skin mask. I think it's more. I think we should focus more on the fact that you are a giant man. You're, yeah, you're, I'm a giant hulking man. <sighs> yeah, that you're a uh, descendant of Nephilim is what I think I, I said when I first. I heard it all the time, yeah. but I really don't. Um, 
yeah, there's not a lot of options in regards to the kind of costumes that a person like a big burly bearded man can be. Uh, so anyway, we need more characters in movies that represent the kind of person I am. Speaking of movies, Liam, this is a podcast about movies, specifically Halloween horror films we're going to be talking about. Before we get into these two 2022 movies, I want to ask you, have you seen any other horror movies from the year 2022 or maybe 2021 that you've caught up on as well? Um, sure. I recently watched a, uh, a movie that people are still discussing. Uh, one Halloween ends. Mmm. Controversial end, the, topic. The end. The end of Halloween. Apparently, people are getting very upset about this movie, Liam. Yeah, they're in they're, both ways. Both in getting upset because they like it and getting upset because they hate it. Sure. Yeah. Did you fall somewhere in the middle? No, I totally didn't like it. I, it. It. You know. Too intellectual for you, huh? Yeah. It was way too. Uh. Uh, I don't, again, this is, you know, this is going to be a spoiler-free episode, so I'm going to maintain that for Halloween Ends as well. But I will say the decisions that were made I felt were unjustified and not because of um, any fealty I feel to the original series itself. If they had decided, like, I've seen people because of some of the, you know, slightly different things that happen in it, people are like, oh, it's like a whole season of the witch vibe. Get the fuck out out of here with that season of the witch was a whole nother cool idea this is not a whole other cool idea all right this is a uh in my mind narratively indefensible decision that i will complain about once the movie's been out long enough for me to feel comfortable <laughs> complaining about it without ruining it for somebody uh i didn't think it was horrible top to bottom like i i know friend of the show sharky thinks of it as like one of the worst movies of the year it's not that for me at all, but it's bad. It's very bad. And I don't think it's I don't think it's like defensively okay. I think it is it is definitely doesn't work as in many important ways. The response to the social media that we go on yeah. to this movie has been very interesting where the initial response was entirely negative it felt, right? And really kind of passionately negative. And sure. that was followed, even in the short time that it's been out, with a wave of really positive reviews saying that mm-hmm. it's amazing and terrific. And it felt like the second wave was a response to the first one. And it's really and, and I'm talking about people I respect on both sides of this. So it's it's a little hard to it did make me very interested, I have to say. I when it was coming out and that initial wave was like, Oh, it's it's garbage, I'm like, Well, I don't need to catch up on that. But the fact that people are now passionately defending it and saying that it's really interesting and explores really interesting ideas, I don't know. I'm going to have to check it out eventually. I have not seen Halloween Kills yet because because of everything around that yeah, release. Yeah, I, I yeah. did see the first of the, the David Gordon Green ones. I liked it quite a bit. But I have to say, the Halloween series is not one of those... Like, I love Halloween. I love the original Halloween. I, love, I really like the second movie, actually. And I love Halloween Season of the Witch. And then I've never seen four, five, or six. I've never <laughs> managed to. I mean, I just haven't really cared that much about it. Uh, so it's a, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it, this is supposed to be for a, a movie for me, for diehards, or maybe I will like it more because I don't have that passionate connection to the entire series. Well, I, I want to make clear that the fact that the movie does try to do something different at all is a good thing. And I like that um, it's not completely trying to retread old ground. I think it is trying to forge a new path. I just think that that new path is dumb. 
and that um and that it doesn't leave if we are going to forge a new path there's certain halloween not in the holiday but in the movie franchise clichés that this movie still holds on to that i i just found myself thinking if we're going to do a new thing guys let's do a new thing you know and i i don't think they do that and i've seen a lot of people say like oh but it has interesting things to say about trauma and this and that and i would suggest that for reasons I will not get into because I think they spoiled the movie, <laughs> those things are bad things, it has to say, actually. Mm, Very bad things. Now, if if I'm meant to take it seriously that I'm offended, I assumed it, no one bothered to think through the things it was saying and no thought was put into it because that's the vibe I get from the movie. So I took it all chill. Like, I wasn't bummed out at all. It was right. only when I saw Defenders of the Movie say, well, it takes this and this very seriously, and it really explores this. I'm like, <laughs> and comes up with bad conclusions? What are you talking about? So, I, I don't know. I, I uh, we, you know, once the movie's been out for a while, uh, I'll, I'll get on the Twitter and, and suffer the slings and arrows of my of my uh, more inclined, positively friends. But Sounds like now, you're kind of, uh, you know, it's, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're stuck in a sense of civility doesn't allow you to speak your true mind. And that might play into one of the movies we're going to talk about a little bit Uh-oh. later. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> but Liam, I haven't seen it, but I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm a, uh, a, a staunch defender of Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. Uh, and so the idea of a series taking a massive left turn into some oddness is something that I can get on board with. So maybe, maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe I'll enjoy it when I see it in 2027 or whenever <laughs> when everything is... Die down, Liam. I have seen the new Hellraiser film. Have you seen this movie? I have. I have. Now, what did you think of this? And this also had a very interesting reaction from the online folks. I got to say, Doug, I wasn't a fan of this one either. In fact, wow. if if I had thought about this, I would have brought up something I enjoyed instead of Halloween Ends. It's just Halloween Ends was the most recent new horror movie other than the movies we're talking about today. So I brought it up. Sure. Now I'm pooping on two movies in a row. I feel bad. That I I do like some newer horror movies. For example, I really like Deadstream. I thought that was great. We just covered it on Cinepunk, so look out for that episode. But uh yeah, Hellraiser well I'll say this. Hellraiser is certainly superior to Halloween ends. And anyone who says otherwise is smoking that wacky tobacco. Cause not that uh, you know what that's like. Yeah, I have no idea actually. Um <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, like the issue is for Hellraiser for me is not that it's poorly executed per se, uh, but that um, for me, the appeal of the original movie, as well as of the novella on which it's based, mm-hmm. is something that's a little more sweaty yeah. and uh, sexy. And yeah. I felt like this movie lacked in sweat or sex in the way that I thought it should have, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I, I honestly, that was the initial reaction I heard from a lot of our circle of people. And I had already heard that before I saw it. And I think that helped my viewing of it immensely because I knew that that wasn't going to be there. So I didn't have that expectation. By the way, I thought that this was, this was going to be a remake of Hellraiser. I thought it was going to be another adaptation of the Hellbound Heart, but it is not. It is just a sequel, rebootish type thing. Uh, it can kind of fit into the continuity of the whole thing, I guess. I did like it quite a bit, in fact. And I think, again, I think I was helped by having my expectations in check and knowing that they were going in a completely different direction. I do think that the movie leaves itself in a place where another sequel, if they happen to go with the same creative team or in the same kind of chronology, they could get to that sweaty place and it would still all fit together. It did feel, at times, pretty safe. 
and that it's not something I'm used to with a good Hellraiser movie, which tends to go in some pretty wild areas. But I have to say, once it got to that final half hour or so, I was like, I am on board with this. I like the Cenobites. I like. I, I actually thought that the the idea of making about uh, drug addiction and trying to uh, apologize for the difficulties that you go through when you are in the string of addiction. I just thought that there was a lot of really interesting stuff there that I did not expect this movie to go with. That said, I, that, this is, might sound shitty. Like, the new Pinhead, the priest character in it, mm-hmm. I don't really get why everyone is raving about that performance. It doesn't seem like there's not there's very much there. I thought the lead actress was amazing, but I just don't... There's nothing... I, I, it's, not, it's not even like, oh, wow, the person's not Doug Bradley. I just didn't think that... They had like really standout moments that were so impressive that people were kind of falling all over themselves about it. That's me, Doug. I think the movie shit except for that. Literally, like I think most of it is poorly executed. I think I get the idea that they were like, we're shifting from uh, uh, pleasure and sexuality to addiction as the focus, as the main sort of um, metaphor of the film. But then I don't think they ever, the movie never actually has addiction in it. It has a person who we're told is an addict who makes a couple of bad decisions. That's not really a representation of what addiction is like. You're right. In some ways, it's kind of afraid. It seems afraid to allow her to be an addict because there's a concern that then the audience wouldn't be able to hang with her. I mean, the original movie is like, hey, you know what's worse than demons from hell who want to mutilate your your flesh? Frank. Frank is worse, actually. Right. And this movie is uh, is is afraid to really explore that depth of depravity that's going on with Frank and uh, and what's her name, and so like I just feel like it works for what it is to a small extent, but I it doesn't feel like it really plums the depths of that, and maybe it shouldn't. Honestly, maybe the idea of saying like, you know, what's similar to what Frank is going through in this original story and and who he is and what he's about in the world is addiction. Let's make this about addiction mm-hmm. and about the ways we hurt ones around us. Maybe that was a bad idea. Like for yeah, me, could have been. I'm watching it being like, I don't think the metaphor, as far as how it works, it just ends up being a bit of a monster movie, which is fine. But then I almost want it to be something else because it's lacking some of the stuff that I care about in the original Hellraiser. Uh, and, and that being said though, I mean, some of your other points I think are very true. Like the Cenobites look cool. It does pick up towards they look the look a end. little plasticky. I have to say, I was, I wish they were a little bit more organic in the way that some of the flaying scenes have that organic feel to it. They just didn't. No, that's, that's fair. And I also am more of a leather person when it comes to this stuff. Like I get that that was like not essential. That was kind of a last minute decision sure. really, but it works. And I, I would prefer, more of that aesthetic, but I, I did, I actually did really like their performance as the priest, the hell priest. Uh, I really liked it. I think I liked them, and, and I, I'll agree with you that the main uh, 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 character, her performance is pretty good. I don't like much of the other characters. Like, I didn't think any of the other acting was really interesting, and I thought the biggest waste 
is how they try to, at the end, be like, actually, you know who the real villain was? This rich guy that's supposed to vaguely <laughs> remind you of Jeffrey Epstein. And I'm like, if that's the case, man, we did not spend enough time with this motherfucker because this they should. Not it work. definitely should have been more on, uh, on that character. I, you know what's funny is that even with the mixed reaction of Hellraiser, even among the people who outright didn't like it, they still, most of the reaction is like, oh, but it's still the third best in the series, right? <laughs> I mean, this is this is the issue, right? I want to be, in some ways, I want to be negative on it because I really do think that the folks who love it, I feel like they watched a different movie than me. Right, But right, on right. the other hand, there are so many bad sequels. Like, the bar is so fucking low. I mean, straight up, I'll take this one over three. And three is like... The next, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I know. obviously love one. Two is a problem, but it's a very charming problem. Yeah. And then as soon as we get to three, I'm like, well, I'm fucking done here. We're, 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 <laughs> and we're it through. just gets, and it, it gets so much worse. <laughs> I just, I mean, here's the thing, Doug. This, let's take this to a larger issue in general, right? Because I was having a conversation recently with a friend about Candyman, the recent Candyman, which was the same thing, right? Like, let's call it the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And they they loved it. They thought it was fucking amazing. And of course, there's someone for whom the original ha- means nothing. They have no attachment to it. And, and Interesting. They, they rewatched it, and they were like, "It's not even that great." And I was like, "You're a fucking monster." But um, the important part to me that I said was, "Look, take the same creative team. You know, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers. This group of you know beautiful black folks that put this movie together." And have them do something inspired by Candyman, but just isn't fucking Candyman. Because I just feel like a lot of these things, the the concept is, if it's attached to a known property, it will make more money. And that may or may not be true, actually. But I tend to think, but a lot of that money is made purely by, not purely, but partly by rage watches. By, you're just poking a bear. And the bear is mad. And so, like, yeah, there are going to be people who love it, but there is almost an equal amount for all these things, people who love the original and who I think are not open to seeing this new thing. And I'm like, let's just leave that alone and instead do something that maybe is very influenced by something, but is its own thing. It just feels like, to me, a waste of the resources and a waste of the talents and and in some cases might poison something for a while now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Anyways, I'm, I'm probably too concerned about this, but I have not, even the ones that I like, right? Like, I actually do like the new Candyman and think it's it's pretty okay. I just felt like, but I, a similar movie that isn't Candyman would have been just as satisfying for me personally. You know what I mean? But like you said, right, a similar movie that isn't Candyman maybe could never be made because there'd be no way to get it, you know, financed. Yeah, I mean, I get that, right? Though if it was going to happen, it would be, you know, with Jordan Peele producing and stuff like that, then maybe you could do something like that. I mean, I just think that after the success of Get Out, you know, Jordan Peele wants to help other people and he's trying to connect his name and why not to properties that mean a lot to him. It all kind of makes sense. I have not seen the Candyman remake. I have a, a lot of affection for the original Candyman, and uh, it's one of my yeah. it's one of my favorites. And I, I think the part that really stung with this friend <laughs> was that um, <laughs> was that I I was totally just going to let it slide, like I didn't say it, and then you laughed like that, and now I just feel like an asshole. Uh, 
was the idea that not not that he hated the original Candyman, but he just didn't find it very scary. Yeah, and I was no. like, "What the fuck?" Like, I think I have come to appreciate it more uh, in a lot of ways. But there was a time where I was frustrated with it in some ways. I was frustrated with the ways that it wasn't doing exactly what I wanted it to do. But I never thought it wasn't scary. You know what I mean? Like, like I think when I was a kid, it was nothing but love. Then I moved into a time where I was like, uh, it's a little ham-fisted with some of these issues, though. Like, it's it's definitely not made by someone who fully knows the place that he's filming and 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 showing. You can then, tell it, right? And also, yeah. just the idea that it hangs on a white face is always yeah. been something that chokes. But then, as I got older, I just let all that go and thought, yeah, but it's really good for what it is. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's it's more of a testament to. I think it's not just that he isn't good at handling the topic. I don't think he thought he needed to handle the topic. Yep. And he just made it, and then it went out into the world, and the world went, oh, this is about race. And he was like, <laughs> oh, only a little bit, guys. Only a little bit. And they're like, no, it is entirely about race. And he was like, fuck, wait, what? Fuck. Like, I think I think any attempt he, the director has made to make it seem more thoughtful is probably not true. I think it's just a response to the response of the public, which was like very much connecting with that sort of subtext of the film that I think is entirely unintentional. I don't. I don't think it was re- other than saying, "Well, we'll set it in 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 uh, in uh, urban Chicago because that seems relevant." But like, sure. I don't think much thought went into it outside of that. Like, I think that was the whole plan, and the fact that people see more in it is a testament to the audience and not to the creators, which I don't think is a bad thing per se. I actually kind of love that. Liam, tell me about 2022's Glorious. Well, sure, Doug. I got this little synopsis here, and I'm going to read this, and I want people to know it's not because I couldn't describe the movie in my own terms, but I just want to put it this way because that way I won't uh, spoil anything by mistake. Right. After a breakup, Wes ends up at a remote rest stop. He finds himself locked inside the bathroom with a mysterious figure speaking from an adjacent stall. Soon, Wes realizes he's involved in a situation more terrible than he could imagine. Uh, so real quick about that description. That's like kind of accurate, but there are certain details throughout it that are actually literally wrong. But if they told you that they were wrong, then it would be a spoiler. So it's like perfect because it gives you an idea. And then as you're watching it, you go, oh, no, that's not quite true, is it? I think that's we're, we're going to have to spoil a little bit of that, I think. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I, I, no, yeah, 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 definitely. So one of the things that I think we can say is that um, it's definitely not a figure because it's literally a being that uh, is at first not physically present in our universe. And only throughout the film becomes more and more physically present in the universe. And uh, – and, and technically, that's in the trailer, so I don't feel bad about that. Yeah. And he needs Wes, who, for various reasons I can't get into, is maybe not the most reliable person he could have asked for this, uh, to sacrifice something for him, to give of himself in, in, in a way. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Rebecca McKendry. Um, so in our notes here, Doug has included... Uh, some information on Rebecca McKendry, co-directed 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring, and directed 2019's Psycho Granny, which I'm assuming is a short, right? That wasn't a... It actually, I think it was actually like a Lifetime movie. 
Oh, is that right? I think so. Um, but I could not figure out why her name was so familiar to me when it came up in the credits. Oh, uh, you you definitely know who Rebecca is. Right. Well, but it wasn't on the top of my mind. And it was only seeing your notes. Right. And I'm like, oh, Killer POV and Shockwaves podcast? Of course. Now, she was also the uh, Fango Entertainment's director of marketing. I didn't know that. That wasn't a, th- a thing for me. And I love that she has a PhD in media studies from Virginia Commonwealth University, something I wish I had, though maybe not necessarily <laughs> from that university, but anywhere I wish I had gotten my PhD. She also recently has showed up as one of the talking heads on the uh, Shutter's. 101 greatest horror moments uh, yes i've definitely i've definitely seen clips of her but i haven't watched that show yet right uh written by todd rigney joshua hall david ian mckendry uh doug why does some of these names sound familiar (laughs) so it's based on a story by todd rigney and i think written by joshua hall and david ian mckendry and david is the partner of Rebecca, and mm-hmm. uh, and they've worked together. I think he co-directed all the creatures we're starring with her. But Todd Rigney is my old co-host before you on the Eric Roberts is a Fucking Man podcast. It took uh, me so long to remember that's why that name was so familiar. I, I, was, <laughs> I was chewing on it for a full day before the, the – it was the, the next day before I went, oh, the other guy. It took me forever to put it together. <laughs> Uh, starring uh, Ryan Quantin. Now, this is the dude from True Blood, right? This is what's I mean, True Blood. This is a joke I put on Twitter a couple days ago. Is that whenever I see someone in a horror movie, and I'm like, "Oh, they're good. Uh, wh- what? Where do I know them from?" And I, it's someone I've never seen in anything. It's because they've been on like five seasons of True Blood, a, uh, a show I've never seen. Well, he's also he's been in other movies though. Yeah, um, I'm sure. And, and he's Australian, and he was in an Australian movie. Ooh, Crocodile Dundee. No. It's a God's horror. Crazy. No, it's a horror movie, and it's very good, actually. Wolf Creek. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, also, J.K. Simmons, uh, Sylvia Grace Krim, and Andre Lamar, uh, Tordy Clark. Really, this movie that was Ryan and J.K. Simmons, right? Yes, like, that's and the, really the voice of J.K. Simmons. Right, he doesn't actually physically appear, but you know, he's very present. I mean, when J.K. Simmons' voice shows up, he might as well be in the room with you, right? But uh, yeah. Um. So, Doug, let's start with just the basic question here. Uh, what did you think of this movie? Did, uh, even before then, were you was this a movie you knew much about going in? Yes, to an extent. I knew the concept of it. I knew that it was about uh, that, that. I knew the joke of the title that it's about a glory hole, basically, in a rest stop, and that the person on the other end in the other stall is some sort of being that wants something from the guy uh, at, at the core of it. I knew that it was basically took place in one spot. I knew it was directed by Rebecca. And I also knew that the response to it when it came out, uh, I think it went straight to shutter for the most part uh, was very positive. And I have to say, I liked it. I really did, but I can't understand why some people love it, to be honest. Uh, it, it, to me, it, it really had, you know, I love the concept. I love this idea of like, a horror movie that takes place in this very limited space. It helps you, you know, do a lot with the budget. Visually, it's really interesting. I love the concept. I give credit to Todd for that. As a short story, this makes total sense as something that you can really grip onto. You can be really kind of imaginative about the way that it all plays out. And I was like really into it and really fascinated. But I do have to say, and I'm not going to give anything away here. As it progresses... It felt like it was spinning its wheels for a long time, even though this movie is well under 90 minutes. And I thought the ending is straight out 
bad. And I have to say, I never really heard anyone talk about the ending, but if you go on Letterboxd, people are just losing it over how much they hated it. I didn't hate it. I didn't feel like I wasted my time or anything like that. I like this movie, but all I could think about as it was kind of coming to a close was this would have made a better episode of like Creep Show, like a half hour exploration of this concept, because as it is, it just feels like it doesn't have a ton to say. Hmm. Uh, real quick, that movie I was thinking of is called Red Hill, 2010's Red Hill. Okay. Uh, if 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 people haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. He was also in Knights of Badassdom, which I don't oh, recommend right, right, anyone yeah. see. Was he good in that Red Hill movie? Yeah, actually. I thought it was really good. You know, that's interesting, Doug. I am going to mostly disagree with you. Mm. Um, especially that's interesting that people hated the ending. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know that I hated the ending. And I should I say that when I talk to... about the ending here, Liam, I'm not talking about the reveal. There is a reveal that happens, but right. really everything that happens after that reveal, I just really thought it's like, okay, now it's going to come to a head. Now something really interesting is going to happen, and it, it really fizzled for me. Huh. That's interesting. I did not have that expectations. It ended exactly the way I thought it would. I don't know that I thought that was particularly satisfying, but I don't think it was bad either. I don't. I don't know. I. I yeah. I don't want to come out. So let me let me back up a little bit. Sure. I'm not going to fully disagree in that. I do think this is a very film fest movie. This is a very. You've never been to Fantastic Fest, but you've been to like Toronto, right? And Toronto yeah, yeah. Dark. I've and... been to a film festival with people who are watching like low budget. No, uh, but I mean movies. the sort of movies where you might, the sort of film fest where you might be at the movies till later at night and you yeah. might see something that in the context of the fest, you're very stoked on. And then later on, it kind of it fizzles a little bit for you. Oh yeah. There's, it's de- there's definitely a Midnight Madness syndrome at TIFF. This is, this are... is for me is this is that this is the sort of movie where in the theater at a fest, I think I would be pretty excited about. I think there are some very interesting aspects to it. Uh, We'll get into some more of those specifics in a sec. But my initial response was almost entirely positive. Uh, But as I heard you being more negative about it, I thought, well, let me really dig in and see what my emotions are about this movie to see like how I can sort of maybe not change your mind, but express very fairly what I'm thinking. Sure. And, uh, you know, I only watched it two days ago. Haven't really thought about it that much since I watched it, quite honestly. Not even two days ago, a day ago. And I haven't really thought about it that much. I don't think it made a huge impression on me, but I enjoyed it as I was watching it. I think there are aspects of the uh, character that J.K. Simmons is playing that I love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are aspects. He makes the movie in almost every single way. Actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are aspects of the special effects which are not great that I still love and found very charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved how gooey this movie is, actually. And there's more to say that I don't want to spoil anything, but suffice it to say, I also didn't mind the turn, which I think some people might be bummed on. Uh, I will. I will sort of own that the thing that I'm not sort of highlighting that I should admit is that I don't love Ryan Quantin as an, as an actor. I didn't love him on True Blood. Um, and I, I, I already knew you didn't, even though you've never mentioned this to me whatsoever, because you have a point in our show notes that says, Ryan Quantin, does he work for you? Which is just clear evidence that he did not work for you. Yeah, I mean, we can go to that point right now. Uh, 
to be fair, he's sharing the screen with J.K. Simmons. Well, he's not. He's not well, sharing the screen with Doug, J.K. Simmons. I was Simmons. getting to that point. <laughs> to be more fair, though, he's not literally sharing. He's more sharing the soundtrack with J.K. Simmons. So to be this heavily outacted when your co-star does not actually appear in the film is not a good sign. Now, I think some of this is the writing, and this is where I will actually agree with you. The film does spin its wheels a little bit because in the narrative, we spend too much time with Wes doing the, I don't believe this is happening and I'm trying to get out of it sort of thing. Now, I will disagree with you in that because of the reveal, there are certain tangents that Wes goes on, certain rants that I think actually were important character beats. Right. Uh, but I didn't realize that in the moment because not all the facts were on the table. Um, and I did start to feel like the movie was meandering a teeny bit. But in the end, none of that really bothered me that much. Uh, but I don't think it's a film that I would go to bat for in a heavy way and be like, everyone should get in this movie. It's so cool. It's neat. I think it's very neat. It has a great concept, right? Yes. And the concept does so much to kind of get you involved yes. with it. And yes. the, uh, even even outside of that con- that that kind of general pitch, then you have J.K. Simmons on top of that, and you're like, okay, I you know I watched this with with my wife, and my wife doesn't watch horror movies barely at all. But like I told her the concept, she's like, that sounds like it could be a lot of fun. And the thing is, it is kind of fun, but it's not as fun as you would think from that concept. Okay, I will say, I hear what you're saying. I appreciated actually that it was not as fun as I thought. I mean, I get that. I think I think both of us appreciated it, but I, as something to pitch to someone, I think it does set up an expectation that people might be a little bummed by. The thing is, that concept sets up a single joke in the entire running time, and it is a great joke. But it really feels like sometimes when I'm watch- when like when I was watching, I was like, it was only to get to that moment about that hole, and then. Everything else is just like, okay, now let's focus on the scary stuff. Yeah, okay, okay. I could see that. Because I don't feel like I can get too much into the narrative weeds here without touching on things that I'm trying not to talk about. Let's talk about uh, some less narratively specific but more thematic things. So for me, one of the things that I found pretty great that maybe was less meaningful for you was kind of the cosmology mythology of it all that the story how it was playing out um how Wes was sort of involved in this how did you feel about both uh uh the the larger sort of sort of cosmological details and also how they were dealt with within the framework of the film i liked it a lot i particularly enjoyed how they told the mythology with Wes looking at the bathroom stall and seeing it sort of play out in kind of rough animated form. I really like that kind of storytelling to it. I also like the idea that that in this incredibly limited space is a story that's about really the end of the world, that it's about like this huge cosmological thing, that it's going way outside of what you're seeing. I think that that was really neat. And I think they tell that story well. Uh, I mean, it's very Lovecraftian, right? I mean, that's the word that it's hard not to think about when you're watching this because it plays into those, you know, unknown terrors, things you can't look at, things that if you see will drive you mad, all that sort of stuff. It really all plays together. And I think that they do a really good job of making that have weight considering the limitations 
of the budget. And they do some fun things with the special effects. I'm with you. The fact that some of it looks a little, you know, a, a, a little lo-fi, that really works for me. I, I don't, I'm not bothered by that whatsoever. I even like the idea that this actor, this sorry, this character of Wes, that, you know, they don't spend too much time setting him up. But the fact that he resists so strongly when it's all, all, all the story's just kind of coming together, I like that too. I... When I talk about the wheel spinning, I'm really thinking of the stuff with like Andre Lamar and and him bringing Broad into it, and it just feels like that only exists to make sure that we get to that 85 minute mark or whatever. That's possible. Um, I'm not sure because I think it's also meant to represent, to some extent, how self motivated Wes is, mm. um, and I think it's meant to answer, I think, a question. I guess that was my thing, Doug, is that I think the Andre Lamar character, so for people who don't know, uh, another person shows up. And for me, that's the... I think that's the suggestion on everyone's mind who's watching the movie. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. I can't watch this movie and not think, well, if someone else shows up, the movie's over, right? Because they'll just show up and then it's all over. And then I, f- the- I feel like they answered that. Like you're exactly right. It answers a question that audiences would likely have, but they already sort of address it earlier, where they, they show like there's something that's making this rest stop not able to be seen. That it's kind of like invisible because of some sort of thing that's happening. And I feel like that was enough of an explanation that they didn't need to necessarily bring this character in. Yeah, it's it's not bad or anything like that, and it does lead to an opportunity for more violence, which I'm always on board with. But it just didn't, it didn't have a, it, it didn't feel like an essential part of the story to me. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I never got to talk about the performance, by the way, just of Ryan Quanton. Oh, um, yes. Thank you. Sorry. I just, that. I just want to talk about it quickly. I don't have any experience with him. This is a very difficult character. When you know sure. everything you know in that movie and you have to, with the knowledge of where it all goes, he has to be very careful in how he presents it. I would have I wish he was a little bit more of a charismatic loser, you know? Just a little bit or maybe even a little bit more uh the way that he pushes back on everything that's happening. I wish it was even more a little bit more extreme even. As it is, he's kind of a little too sleepy through it and it just I I did have trouble even though the movie doesn't really want you to become too invested in him as a person, he's still the whole show for the most part, right? In terms of what you see. And yeah, it did, I don't think he's bad or anything like that. It's just a really hard role. I agree it's a hard role, but I think... I think that's... I wish it was someone I'm, a little more I'm, interesting. You know? Right. That's what, I, that's what it boils down to for me, is that... Um, a great actor, I think, would make it more interesting is, yeah. is problem one. And then problem two is, yeah, I, I think while I like the script overall, I don't know that the story really gives him enough time to do more interesting things until it starts to get towards the the climax, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, one of the major sort of aspects of this story, right, is this conflict for Wes between you know sacrifice and selfishness and and i just wanted to know how that played for you doug like how did you feel about that as kind of a motivating uh uh uh, uh factor for what's making this movie kind of go forward it, it's kind of like the heart of the movie oh absolutely it's certainly the core of it and th- these these are kind of classic 
again, short story-ish type ideas, right? Where you put yourself in the scenario and you like, well, what would I do if I was faced with this choice, right? It's, it's why when the movie decides to reveal more about Wes as a character, that it to me it becomes a little bit less satisfying because it's hard then to put yourself in that role and put yourself in those shoes and be like, well, what would I do? What, what would decisions would I make? I still find it very interesting, the kind of morality of it and the idea of self-sacrifice. But like, it's really hard to get into this in any detail without giving too much away. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, when it, when it all comes together, when the plot all kind of reveals itself, a lot of that comes off feeling a little bit empty to me. Because it's 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 when you learn more about that character, none of it really seems to matter that much. I'd almost have preferred that they left a lot of that out entirely and just made Wes like a regular fucking guy. I could not disagree more because I think the the theme of sacrifice as presented in this movie is almost entirely irrelevant to modern audiences. They're uninterested in it. Um, it doesn't have any power to it. In fact, I would say for anyone under 30, the idea that any individual is responsible for any larger thing is the problem. It's the lie of neoliberalism because no individual is responsible for anything in reality. For your relationships, for your own life, sure. But this thing where we keep saying that individuals, if they'd only be more moral, could stop the end of the world, it's literally not true. It's literally but didn't we a just lie. See, I mean, you're, you're exactly right, but didn't we just see a, a, an amazing example of what that could have been, right? We were, we've been, we were faced with a, a worldwide threat that everyone, for the most part, with any sense in their fucking heads, recognized as being real, a pandemic, and all people were asked to do was make literally the smallest possible sacrifice. All they would have to do is wear a mask in crowded places, even to this day that, that we're recording this, the smallest thing that you could ask. And it has to be, in this case, a, something giving of you because the wearing of the mask, it might protect you a little bit, but it's not about protection. It's about spreading. It's about giving it to someone else. You might know that you're going to be okay for the most part, that you're not really in any d- danger, but by wearing it, you might stop someone else from getting it who might not be as well off and might get sick and get and maybe even die from it and and a large number of people their response to this small act of potential sacrifice was to say nah and to this day that's what they do every single day they get up and go nah totally understand what you're saying doug again i couldn't disagree more because I actually think that's all the failure of the government, 100%. If they had messages just a little bit differently, we wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, all you got to do is look at the polio vaccine. Vaccines were more scary then. They were more controversial then. People had more superstitions then than they do even do now. And yet because of uh, basically authoritarian messaging about something that was actually important, instead of what we usually use authoritarianism for, which is like getting people to say the <laughs> Pledge of Allegiance and be racist, the one time the government had a right to flex its muscle, and it was fucking effective, you know? And people did it, and they shut their goddamn mouths about it. And that I was think you're exactly was. right about the actual shot. But in terms of the mask wearing, the thing about polio vaccine is that it's for you, right? It's to protect you. But when it ever, whenever it becomes uh, something about protecting other people, even to the smallest amount, the idea of that being rejected, you're right. There's certainly a messaging issue there. But you can just work it out in your brain. You know well, that if you wear see, this, less people I, are going to get sick. Again, I don't agree because if you remember back to when we were first 
talking about masks. A, the government was unclear. In fact, they started that, that off is with true. don't wear masks at all. They actually didn't want people to wear masks. And B, um, no one figured out what the masks were actually for for like three, four months in. And even now, if you talk to some of these psychopaths, they still don't actually understand why you're supposed to wear the mask. And so, Yeah, because they'll look I, at you wearing a mask and be like, look, I'm not sick. I don't know why you're wearing the mask. It's like, yeah. that's not what it's about. <laughs> but again, all of this misses the point, which is that for me, the central theme here, if it had played out in a heroic sense. Again, this is really hard to talk about without spoiling anything. So all I'm going to say is the way that things play out has more of a mirroring effect that actually works with the central theme here, right? Because of who J.K. Simmons' character is. And so because of that, I think the ending makes sense. If it had ended with Wes is a heroic gentleman who made a heroic sacrifice. Okay, I've already heard the story of Jesus, Doug. I don't need it again, okay? I, I'm not trying to say that that would be a better way to tell the story. And yes, thematically, the way it plays out makes a lot more sense. But it also, you're right. This is a much more interesting direction to take it, but it makes the buildup a lot less interesting for me. Hmm. No, because he still has to make a choice. I think the he idea does. is that he <laughs> makes that choice despite being broken uh, again no you're yeah, i know it's that. hard maybe maybe yeah. we should get away from the plot aspect yeah. of it, but let's, i get where you're, you're coming from let's go back to let's go back to something more and then we can move on to the next movie uh, uh we already talked about the performances jk simmons is great ryan let, is actually fine. let us just just focus just for a second on that he's really really great. he's really I mean, good it, yeah and he's also he's not playing J.K. Simmons like from Whiplash or something like that. It's a much more of a genteel type vocal performance, except for certain moments. And I really think it, there are a few actors who could pull it off like he pulls it off here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think me and Doug are on, in, on sim, sim, slightly different pages about uh, whether the, the reveal here takes away from the emotional impact of the film or not. Uh, but I feel like that's that's a conversation for when more people have seen the movie yeah. and we can talk about stuff more. I do want to just ask really quick, Doug, how do you feel about one-room movies? Oh, I love them. Um, mostly because I come from, you know, my passion when I got into writing and podcasting about movies was ultra-low-budget movies. And I feel like the idea of taking this kind of concept and developing it around a really limited location, you know, even going back to movies like Rope and things like that, which, which that one's a little bit more based on uh, tricks and things like that. But just the idea of just doing so much with a very limited location. Pontypool, I think, is a really good example sure, of something yeah. like that, right? Uh, or even Cube, even though that's multiple rooms, it's all really just one room throughout. It, it allows you to be a little bit more cerebral. And I really feel like you can get so much more production value out of it. Again, whatever limitations I ha- I feel this movie has in regards to its pacing and its plot at times, I think visually it still is really impressive and really fun to watch. They do so much with this setting and they really mess it up and they do, you know, it really, the production value and the production design in it is something that I really appreciated. Uh, and it has to be because that's another thing. You have to be very inventive if you need to make one small location look visually engaging for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I think the central question here is the one that you had, Doug, and I've been actually thinking about it this whole time, 
would this have worked better in a shorter format, whether that was part of an anthology or just a short film or part of a TV sh series, you know, maybe an anthology TV series of horror shorts or whatever, you know, Masters of Horror sort of thing. And I think that um, in this context, it would. But the more that I think about it, the more I think that a feature length would be better if instead of focusing so much on the convincing of Wes to the, you know, sort of like more biographical info we get about his past. Right. right. And, and that is if there was more involvement in the slow conversion of him, because for me, thematically, I think everything on the table, which we are not discussing works, but I think narratively, uh, it'd be nice to get to a place where uh, he does make his own decision, and 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 uh, that isn't necessarily a redemption narrative per se, mm -hmm. uh, but just about you know making a slightly different decision because I think that actually reflects more the ideas around the J.K. Simmons character. I think that so I think actually a feature length that was more. This is going to sound crazy considering how much conversation is in this movie, but was more conversational. I think the problem with all the conversation in this movie is that it's not always clear that they're getting anywhere. It's a lot of Wes frustrating J.K. Simmons' character, J.K. Simmons' character lashing out. Yeah. Not so much having actual conversations about this thing, and I think that would have been more interesting to me. Something that was a little more, not a lot more, by the way but a little more philosophical where there was more actual discussion and less like I'm yelling in your brain. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I feel like we're really getting to the same point, which is if this was a slightly different movie, it would earn its running time a little bit better. But sure. for me, the movie that it is could have fit into a 30 minute segment on an anthology movie and be just as satisfying, if not a little bit more. I think that's fair. I think, I think for me, uh, I prefer short films that are super punchy. Like, right. like, like I tend to think of short films as, as like a setup and punchline. And this movie is too much for that. I worry as a shorter segment, I would just think like, oh, okay. Like it wouldn't matter as much to me. But I agree that the way it is right now, not all of it really works the way I want it to. So that's that. Let's jump into this next movie that you chose. to say thanks doug <laughs> i'm kidding talk talk about speak no evil doug speak no evil uh getting a lot of discussion over the last few months uh people's responses to it have been very very strong uh and because of certain controversial aspects about what happens in the movie and this is going to be another one we are not going to spoil though we're not going to continually refer to the fact how, how frustrated we are we can't spoil it hopefully <laughs> though it's hard to talk about so just to go through the plot quickly, a Danish family visits a Dutch family they met on a holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. Directed by Christian Taftrup and written by Christian and Mads Taftrup, his brother. Uh, I don't know any of their other work. Uh, this is a movie that, as I said in the description, has a Danish family and a Dutch family, but it is almost entirely in English. Uh, featuring Morten Burian as Bjorn, Sitzel uh, Siem Koch as Louise, Fidya Van Hut as Patrick, and Karina Smulders as Karen. 
Uh, not actors that I recognize from anything else, and I think that actually helps in the context of the movie. Now, it's important to talk about this movie in a way, again, that isn't spoiling anything. But this might be one of the most uniquely structured horror movies that I have seen in recent memory because it if you didn't tell someone watching it that it was a horror movie, you probably could pick up on the fact that it's very tense at a lot of times because this is a movie about uncomfortable situations and people reacting to those situations. And the horror, the real horror, only really kind of comes into play, and you'll see this in every review for it, in the final like 20 minutes or so. And when it kicks off, it kicks off in a very kind of French extremity from the mid-2000s type levels, right? you you got to be thinking of things like interior or martyrs or shit like that it really kicks off so you have to have that expectation in your head about where this movie is and what it's all about but with that in mind liam let's start what did you think about speak no evil well it really does start off playing off a lot of uncomfortable things and not even between our two families alone uh, even as bjorn is considering whether they should even go visit and the way that he kind of makes the decision for his family by kind of coaxing their friends into convincing them to go. Uh, there's a lot of uncomfortable, awkward stuff going on here. It, it, it before it makes the turn, uh, reminded me almost of like a force majeure. Yeah, maybe, very much so. Yeah, but maybe less funny. Like force majeure is so uncomfortable, but parts of it are just fucking hilarious and absolutely this... the humor the you could make a case that there's humor in this movie but it might be the bleakest possible humor but it comes from the same place as something like force majeure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so all that being said um i i spent a lot of the movie being convinced like this is fucking brilliant i am so stoked on this and it's hard for me like this sort of uncomfortableness doug is very difficult for me to sure. suffer through mm -hmm. uh it's a bummer because this sort of uncomfortable situations are very present in a lot of comedies today. And I, it's not that I get mad. I just, it makes me uncomfortable. And I'll get to the point where like I cover my eyes, like right. how, like how normal people are about horror movies and violence. That's how I am when something truly terribly awkward is happening. I feel it. I feel it. And I don't want to feel it anymore, but I don't not watch. I just, it's uncomfortable for a moment. Right. So I was pretty high on that. And then it makes the turn. And um, I found the turn towards the more obviously horrific aspects of the narrative pretty unsatisfying. Um, uh, it, it, they felt pretty empty to me. Um, the idea that it's like utterly shocking seems weird. I don't understand that take uh, from people who found the movie just a little too shocking for them. Um, this felt like, we were talking about film festivals earlier, the sure. most basic, bordering, insulting level film festival movie stuff, where it's just like, it's it's not quite full fedora edgelord, but it's like, you can see it from here. And uh, I didn't think there was any real thought to it. Um, it. It has all this, you know, things around politeness and civility and the problems they're in and then the way that it ends up i mean maybe this is a movie for like the fox news set who's like they should have just shot him okay i guess like other than that i don't think anyone thought about what the message of this movie is whatsoever um and the actual way it fold it plays out only has 
for me, one really shocking moment that I will not spoil for anyone, or rather, like, gory sort of whatever moment. Um, the All the rest of the resolution, I didn't care about. It didn't have any emotional impact for me. The whole thing just left me feeling empty. Uh, and I kind of was knowing going in about how controversial this thing is. Sure. I was kind of looking forward to feeling a little, like, sad, bummed out, defeated, and I didn't feel that way. I just was like, okay. I mean, it's certainly not nice. And there's certainly no, like, upbeat character moments where I get to, like, cheer or something. But I knew it wasn't going to be that. So that wasn't a surprise. I just thought there'd be more to it. I thought it'd be more cutting. But it's it's very – it felt to me very fatalistic, very sort of like, well, this was just how it was going to be. And I just didn't find myself sort of touched by that in any particular way. Um, I get why people are so offended at the way that it wraps up uh, and the decisions that the characters make. Um, And I'm similarly, I guess I understand how they feel about that. Um, But to me, that just felt like this question of how far can we push this before we have to turn the corner, right? Like how believable is it? Sure. I, f- I felt like they pushed a little further than believable for me, but I also know, as I think you do as well, there are cultural differences, right, uh, between people. And so where I'm from, it's more common to speak your mind in a blunt way or to be a little more aggressive. So some of the decisions made about how these characters act, I was a little like, well, I don't relate to that, but not in a way that I thought was like, unfair like i do believe people will act in the ways that people act in the movie it just was not i I just couldn't imagine myself in that situation it's very interesting hearing you say that and in fact before we started recording you were talking about bjorn and the fact that he's such a weak person in the movie yeah when to me he was so reflective of everybody i surround myself including myself and that's one of the things that resonated so strongly with me about this movie, but is no, that, that can't no, be true, Doug. Because I, I don't even just mean to this other family. He's basically a manipulative person. He is a bad dude before they go to the family. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I think he's very flawed, but I think he's believably flawed. I, you know, he, he oh, shows. Yeah. His... I don't. I don't think he's not believably flawed. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not accusing the movie of being utterly unbelievable. I think they push how long this would go on. Um, because they want to delay the actual horror aspects for a while, but I don't think it gets to a point of utter belief, uh, 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 where I wouldn't believe it per se, but I, but I don't think when you say, I mean, in the sense that he's not combative, I completely believe you, Doug, that you, that's not where you're at, but it gets beyond that where I think he, um, is afraid to be honest with his wife. He's afraid to be fully honest with these folks and with himself about how oh, he feels. Oh, very much so. Very much so. That's yeah. where I, that's where I'm like I don't understand that. See, it maybe it's because I've always in a lot of uncomfortable situations I've always been very passive and I don't know where that necessarily comes from and maybe it is out of fear and in this case of this character there is a lot of fear. But by the way, there is a point where he kind of turns a corner in this movie as well and it's just like 
I need to protect my family. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to do it. And of course, he fucks up horribly, but it is within him. But I like the idea that they set him up as being a very flawed character. I want to say that I don't know if I fully understand all of the relationship between the cultures aspect in this movie because oh, it's about I agree. a Danish I agree with that. And I, I think that that's there's something that's very important there. I've read some reviews that are talking about like the the passivity of these cultures during World War II is being commented on. I can't really speak to that necessarily. All I can do is kind of project it onto myself. And that is why this movie resonated so strongly with me. I really felt strongly about it and I felt that the ending while very extreme, is the sort of extremity that is meant to be very much like a wake-up call, that it has to go to those extreme places in a way like, not like a Michael Haneke film necessarily, but certainly in that sort of vein. And for me, this, you know, I use, you use that word civility, I meant it, brought it up earlier, but the idea of, of, particularly over the past decade, the idea that the public and it's hard again i look at a lot of american politics when i see this movie as well and canadian politics to a certain extent too the idea that while people are spitting in our face and destroying our environment and destroying our culture and you know killing people and you know just it while all this horrible stuff is happening to us that there's this expectation that oh, we don't want to speak up too much we can't we can't say the wrong thing they're going to get angry while these people the p- people on the other side they don't care they don't care that they're pretending to be a doctor as soon as they get called out ah, i just felt like didn't didn't want to embarrass myself <laughs> they, they just have no sense of shame and when there's no sense of shame then there's nothing you can do when you still have that shame within you and again i'm not proud of the fact that i'm so passive in a lot of the ways that i I interact with people necessarily and i certainly i think that bjorn is an exaggerated version of that but i mean i like the idea that when it comes to when push comes to shove in this movie his wife is the first to be like this is fucked up we need to deal with this but she still gives in and not just because of him when when things are like when they try to be like oh we're so sorry about what happened it's you're you're looking at it all wrong it's just kind of this natural thing to be like well maybe i did misinterpret it maybe i did see it wrong and one thing that i came back to liam and this is something in our story notes as well is whether there is a cultural reaction to this movie as us as viewers that might come from our background of where we are you know canadians have this cliched view of being not not necessarily passive but certainly friendly it's not it's not based in reality necessarily but it is something that canadians themselves are they really have kind of uh, internalized about themselves and americans to a canadian are supposed to be these brash you know, kind of obnoxious people to a certain extent. And I could see like someone trying to make, you know, make a version of this movie, which is about a Canadian and American, as opposed to uh, the people in in this particular movie. Do you think our reactions to this movie have anything to do with our cultural background? Uh, The problem, Doug, is that I currently live in the Midwest, which is the Canada (laughs) of the United States. Um, And I'm... Yeah, when I think about Chicago, it's only really kind, nice people. I mean... I know you're I know you're joking because there is a certain brashness to Chicago, but I will say like one one of my close friends uh spent a chunk of his 20s here and then moved back to the northeast cuz he's like there are central Chicago people, but once you get past like Chicago natives, everyone in the city is 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 sad farm people who can't wait to get back to the farm and it's a real bummer. Right, and right. Uh, I don't know that that's wrong all the time. Um, I will say that it is a lot more passive here than it is where I'm from. And so it's hard for me 
to think of it as like, yeah, it's that Doug is so passive and I'm really <laughs> aggressive like like a normal person. And to me, it's, it's more like it's more like I'm from a psychotic place that like people from other cities that are known for being crazy are like, yeah, but I mean, Philly's fucking crazy, though. You know what I mean? So like, I don't think of my response as normal. And I also know that as uh, my co-host on Our Business, Justin Laurel, likes to point out, you don't really know fully how you'd react in a situation. So sure. pe- people who hate the, the the let's call it less the climax, because it's really not, and more the denouement of this movie, yeah. uh, they're just assuming that they wouldn't do that. But if they made the decisions that got to that point, they would maybe do that. You know what I mean? Um, I think... I think for me, I don't know that that's true. I think it really stresses some of the cultural differences I feel from not just you or these folks, Doug, but from a lot of people where I'm just more inclined to be like, hey, yo, what the fuck? Because that's just my personality. And I don't know that that's better. But don't you think like that's your life now, right? It's what the fuck? What the fuck? And, you know, the part where Bjorn has this all this anger inside of him and frustration. Sure. That he lets out in the screaming session. And, of course, that doesn't really have any real – it doesn't really do anything for him. It kind of connects him to a character that he shouldn't feel connected to, which, which we find out. But, like, we all live with that, right? We all live with this stuff in the pit of our stomach that we're unable to – we should be yelling all the time because of what's going on in the world, but I mean, we can't yell. Here, here's the thing, though, Doug. I get the – I want to go back to this pol- possible political metaphor thing. Sure. Because it is, it is a fair comparison in the sense that, um, you know, that um, I have to keep looking back because I get all these various kinds of white people confused. <laughs> that, the, that the Danish were maybe not fully collaborators but neutral enough that they were basically helping Germany, whereas yeah. uh, the Dutch, you know, the Netherlands were much more inclined to rebel and, you know, maybe they didn't – reach the levels of you know murdering nazis as some other places did they did their own they did some some share of that i don't want to hype it up too much i think sometimes it's like well we didn't give in right away it's like not the same as as some of the other sort of forces out there but uh but that being said um i also think there's just as much issues here of like masculinity like i find oh sure more central than this political thing and the political thing kind of doesn't work for me, Doug, because there's a there's a message at the end of the movie that these things happened because they were allowed to happen is 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 a thing communicated um, at the end of this movie by a character. It, I think I think the the specificness of those words that you let it happen that's important though, right? No, that, that, because that's fascist bullshit. Everything about that, Doug, is right-wing propaganda. If anyone has the Nazis on their mind who wrote this movie, it's in the wrong direction. This is a pro-Nazi movie. I don't. It is, it is not a pro-Nazi 100%. movie. 100%. I don't care what they think it's about, but when you say, oh, you let this happen, you are 100% victim blaming in the most pro fascist way possible it is this is a movie for neo 
f- fucking uh, uh, Nazi light internet people. Like they fucking probably love this shit on all, any number of 4chan <laughs> message boards. This is about how, you know, leftists are cucks and we should murder them in the streets. That's what this movie's about. That is, I mean, I don't even think you believe that. But I mean, I'm, it, ex- the idea- I'm exaggerating, but I actually do in the sense that the to end on this note is straight up edgelord white man bullshit it's the movie is trying to both critique masculinity and then ends in a dick swinging place and it's stupid it's just straight up stupid and when, the when idea, you say that, i mean again we can't speak specifically to it but that place i mean there is no moment of intense masculinity that this ends with right i mean i can i interpret it as more like a generational thing it's it's basically creating a voiceless generation right that 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 because of the passivity of the parents because of their unwillingness to speak and act but the idea that it is the assertiveness and strength of the villain you know the villainous family that allows them to dominate is i think a false equation to be made if there's meant to be a social message of any kind it's a bad social message i think if that social message was why you know when push comes to shove why didn't you shove harder that is a fascistic interpretation but to me it was like if they spoke up at the beginning this never would have happened if they spoke up and just just cut it off and be like, ah, oh, this is uncomfortable, time to leave. That's still fairly passive. It's not confronting, but that would have been fine too. They would have been okay then. It just, as we see, this is a cycle that happens to these people again and again. They just run into these people who allow it to happen. Yeah, I don't, this whole thing where, for, for me, Doug, the idea that they could do this again and again because the people are so passive and they can just sort of manipulate them in this obvious way is, in my mind, the sort of uh, narrative that like idolizes serial killers and talks about how smart the Nazis were, you know, like that somehow you're stronger for having been able to accomplish these evil things. And I don't buy any of that. I think underlying that is the thing that that people want this to be critiquing is actually supported by this movie and i don't know that it was intentional but that's how it is and my worry is it being a movie containing almost exclusively white people that in the end this is just going to be about not white people that sure in the context of the movie the people who are too passive is this like utterly white family right but who are the and and the people who are victimizing them is this utterly white family but who are the people that europe is being too passive to it's migrants doug in the end this is going to be about africans or people from the middle east because any narrative that is this bone hard for the idea of like you need to just be more assertive from a guy who is, in my mind, too assertive and more than willing to say, fuck you, in the middle of something like this. That is who I am, Doug. And I'm telling you that lionizing that too much, all it does is prop up strong men and give into this idea that if we were all just a little bit stronger, we could really stand up and change things, which is fascism. So, no, I'm not into it. I, I mean, I don't see that at all. I don't think this movie idolizes in any way the strength of the other characters uh, in this. And the that's idea the that whole they... story of the movie. 
That the, they the win because they're strong. That's how no, the they, movie... they win because they are completely shameless. They win because they don't care at all about how people react. They, they win because their evilness is so unchecked that they never have to worry about any kind of consequence from it. And I mean, I think that's reflective guess, of reality, but I, that's I, reflective I, of fascist living. I think we both are seeing them as stand-ins, right, for a certain sort of oligarchs in the world. But I think you're you're seeing it as a thing where it's like, well, this is the lesson here that we need to stand up to these folks and we just let them hurt us. And I'm seeing it as, no, this is for the people who idolize those oligarchs and love the terrible world we're in to jerk off over. Like, I swear to God right now, I would bet money, 200 bucks to you, Doug, that <laughs> there's a thread on 4chan right now of people being like, yeah, that's the fucking shit right there. I'm going to be like that family. Yeah, I'm but I mean, be because people misinterpret a movie doesn't mean well, that. Well, but the sometimes movie we misinterpret because they see the actual threads going on. You know, like Maybe, Candyman. You know what? Like the I conversation we were having about Candyman, Doug. Yeah. It, that's what I'm saying. That's, I think... The general interpretation of Candyman is, by your definition, a misinterpretation. And by my definition is seeing what's actually there. And that's how I feel about this movie, is that the way that it ends, unintentionally or not, is not purely a criticism of the meekness of the one characters, but I think it's also a lionization of this family. And that's how I think a lot of people probably will end up seeing it. And I, and I get why they see it that way. I mean, I, I obviously I disagree, but I can see where your per- interpretation is. If this movie didn't go where it went, yeah, I know this is a little hard to, uh, a question to go through, but say that this movie, it's all of its buildup is pretty much the same, but instead of the denouement becoming what it is, that it becomes something maybe or more explicitly darkly comedic. It just is a big blow up that no that that doesn't have any sort of violence connected to it, but it's just this huge embarrassment for everybody. Is that something that do you think you would have liked this more? Well, I don't think it would be a horror movie then. No, you right. Know, it I, be I, I, I don't know how you could make that a horror movie, but as a comedy, I yeah, I mean, I guess. Although it doesn't have, we've talked about it being maybe darkly comedic, but it doesn't really have gags. No, in it, even the darkest part. That's the thing about Force Majeure, right? Is that as uncomfortable as it is, it has gags. It's just the gags are played out. In the worst possible way, which is really just making them realistic, right? Like any comedy thing, if you do it in a real world, is a horror show, but it's also still kind of funny, you know? Um, this it's movie, the cringe, right? The cringe yeah. comedy yeah. aspect. And it's funny because when you were talking about cringe comedy at the beginning of this, I, I mean, I really agree with you. I have a lot of trouble watching that. These are cringe situations that don't necessarily lead to any sort of comedic moment, but just kind of hold, right? And in that way, I could see... I mean, I could see some people watching this and finding it absolutely unbearable. All of that. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, I did. But it's a thing that I have come to appreciate as an art form, even as it's really hard for me. So it was unbearable in a way that, like, let's say you, like, really like sour things, but you have a sensitivity to sour sure. things. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how it is for me. It's It hurts a little bit, but I really appreciate it. Um and I, I think building towards a climax of some kind that is horrifying is great. I, I do think there are other movies that have a structure similar to this where the reveal is closer to the end of the truly horrific aspects of the narrative. I don't think that's an uncommon way to do stuff like this. But um, uh, in this particular case, the, the payoff just felt 
so empty to me. And I think the idea that like, well, because so I think part of my rejection here, Doug, is it's I, I know I'm one of a few people who feel this way because I think a lot of people felt the opposite. It's an utterly boring ending. I can I have trouble imagining a more boring ending. So I might be able to swallow that bitter pill if I thought thematically it worked. And I felt like thematically it made the exact opposite point for a lot for me than I think it really should have made and uh, or or wanted to make maybe. Uh, and so like it's like, uh, I don't think it works as an idea and then on the page it's just like all right here here we go this is happening and i thought well they're gonna it's gonna get spicy there's gonna be fun things and there's like one moment that i don't want to spoil for anyone (laughs) that i thought like oh okay there we go we went with it and then after that it's all just like okay all right it's just not nothing about it for me has any shine or excitement or works in any particular way it's it just i just was like Super bummed, honestly, because I felt like everything leading up to this supposed climax was so well done, and then maybe they just ran out of ideas. I don't know. I don't know. I've, to me, the inevitability of the ending is kind of what makes the movie, that it all felt like it had to go to an extreme place, or otherwise all the buildup wasn't going to be able to go anywhere, that there was not going to be any But I didn't think of... it was extreme. I thought it was mostly boring. That's what I, I, in the end, it didn't go where I thought it would go, which is something more extreme, where I would be like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't believe You know, you're right in the sense that. that by setting up earlier when I said things like Martyrs and L'Interior, I think it really, people might be disappointed when they see that it doesn't come up with a bunch of different things that happen necessarily. Uh, and a lot of it is very much based on just characters reacting to things. But I still, I was still really entranced by that and found it really interesting. I don't want to go on and on about it. I think that our opinions on this are pretty clear at this point. But I do want to ask you, just before we finish up, you didn't like the ending, but you seem to like most of the movie for the most part. But the ending kind of undid a lot of what you liked about what came earlier. This is just my interpretation. You can disagree with that, and, and maybe you will. But would you still recommend people check it out? Um, I think for a certain... You know, I a friend referred to it as like a, a certain kind of nihilistic genre uh, of film. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're thinking of newer movies, maybe you could compare this to like Goodnight Mommy. You know, as 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 a as a the remake analog. or the original, the original, right? Uh, in the sense of it, just you know, it, it's it it until the end, it's not very dramatic, right? Like Goodnight Mommy has a lot of tension, but yeah. it doesn't get dramatic until it gets fucking dramatic. You know, um, I think that feeling is interesting for people and something that's like very dark you know that sort of has a, a, a cynical worldview I guess could appeal to people a certain kind of nihilistic uh, take on things could work so yeah I think that's worth checking out and I think it is very artistically well done I think I just was so ready to feel something at the end to either I mean I knew it wasn't going to be this but there is a version of this movie where it is exciting at the end, actually, because characters can change if you want them to. So I guess that version could be interesting. But I thought, okay, we're not doing that. We're doing the worst case scenario. So at least I'll feel like truly horrified and bummed out. And that is maybe a dark place to be. 
but <laughs> like cool I, you know that's I, sometimes i'm really into that and i'm totally that's what i want in a weird way and I, it just didn't get me there it just felt really uh, uh surfacey to me and just didn't have the amount of thought that i thought it would so i wonder um, how much of that is based on how much you connected with those people at its core like if i cared about them more then yeah. i would well, that's possible but i think the things that you would have to change about those characters for me would make to, it a whole different movie. Yeah, it'd be a different movie, yeah, which yeah. would also be interesting. I mean, again, when I I, I kind of made fun of the idea that it could have a more positive ending than it does, but you could do a movie like this where we start with a family getting fucked, and then they find the next family, and we're ready for them to go through this situation, and then the next family's like. Wait, what did you do? Nah, fuck this. And then whatever. Or they're also assholes, you know, like, you know, sharks in the water together, right? Like, whatever. But uh, no, I mean, I think the 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 sense of in unavoidable doom here, I do think you have a point, is part of the appeal, or at least part of what's trying to be accomplished. And it does accomplish that. I just, I guess I was just expecting something about the ending to make me connect more than it did and it just didn't but right i think the uh, the artistry before then it might be worth it for people so I, I don't know i guess i would recommend it i just I, I think if any of my friends were like oh should i watch it i'd probably give them not a spoiler but i'd say like yeah just be ready the ending is either going to work for you or it's going to really fucking not work and yeah. so i'd just be prepared for that and i don't think it's worth hating this movie because the ending doesn't work because I don't hate it. I just think that it, it 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 wasn't what not just what I wanted, but I don't think it accomplishes what the movie thinks it does. You know, it's funny. We just talked about two movies and and the ending of one didn't work for me and the ending of the other one didn't work for you. But I think we both really had a lot of love and respect for the craftsmanship that went into the movie itself. Like this sure. is I think that it's a beautifully shot movie and I think the performances are absolutely incredible um, yeah um and so I, I think there's enough there that even if the ending i mean people are going to have a visceral reaction to that ending there's just no way that they're not one way or the other and i feel like that is when we see these extreme reactions uh i i have i looked at my friends reviews on letterboxd and they run the gamut from four and a half stars to half a star a movie like that i always recommend to people who who have the tolerance level for the kind of material that's here. If this is the kind of thing, I mean, after our conversation, you're going to know whether this is at least something that you're going to want to try out. Uh, sure, and I think yeah. that if you're in that boat, then you should. And I'd love to hear your response. I'd love to hear all the responses, negative or positive, and certainly um, different interpretations too. And maybe, maybe knowing a little bit more about the filmmakers would give me a little bit more insight into that as well. Liam, that is too horror movies from the year 2022 in our spooky Halloween spooky. episode. <laughs> that got Yo, a little more say, serious. <laughs> ne neither one of these movies was very Halloween at all. Well, that's it, right? I mean, they're definitely horror movies, but yeah, I mean, I think you could put Glorious on probably at a, depending on your audience and they would have a good kind of spooky time, but it's a little too cerebral for the kind of fun Halloween stuff that we, that we think about when it comes to Halloween movies. Yeah. I mean, is there a movie know. that you always have to watch around the Halloween season? I have a few that I think of as like obvious choices, uh, like Night of the Demons is one. Halloween ends, certainly. Uh, yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I actually tend to like to use Halloween time as an excuse to catch up on stuff I haven't had a chance to watch, right. which is like 
often more older stuff than I realized, right? Like I, I sometimes will acquire something on blue and never get a chance to watch it. So um, that's, that's more of my vibe. But yeah, I mean, what I end up doing because I am a dad is that I end up watching some of the more kid Halloween stuff over and over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there there aren't that many options, but there's a few that I really like and my daughter really likes. So my hope is eventually to get her to like at least watch some of the less scary horror movies with me. Well, but. good news, Liam. And this goes back to my childhood costume. Doug Jones uh, returns in Hocus Pocus too. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> What's the best kids horror film? Probably Paranorman. Um, mm, I love but, Paranorman, but I won't say that is definitely true because I think there's a bunch I haven't seen, honestly. Sure. Uh, but of the ones I've seen, I think Paranorman is my favorite. All right. Well, I'm going to have to revisit Paranorman. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, and I was like, "This is great. How come everyone isn't talking about it?" And then people do talk about it sometimes. Looks like you did, Liam. It it did seem to go away. I feel like they kind of broke more with subsequent films. The company, that yeah, made the it. box trolls didn't do that well either. I I don't know, man. Leica is very underrated, even in even in our circles to a certain extent. I think their their body did of box work trolls there. not do well. Is that true? I think so. I saw that huh. in theater too and loved it. But I mean, I can't remember the last time I heard anyone talk about it. Well, that's true. I, I, then again, I don't talk to many children, and that's really a children's film. <laughs> I mean, I, I do hear people talking about Paranorman now, but I yeah. I think you're right. When it came out, I mean, I didn't see it in theaters when it came out. I waited till it was streaming, and even then, I've only probably rewatched it as often as I have because of my daughter. You know, I don't know if on my own I would have made it like an every year thing. Liam, I think we've talked enough about our beloved favorite horror films. You know, we're both horror heads. I think the audience should know that. Uh, I think it's time for us to wrap things up. I love doing these uh, one-offs, though, Liam. We should do it every once in a while, uh, mostly so you can yell at me about how my taste is really bad, which I really do enjoy very much. <laughs> I didn't think I yelled at you. <laughs> I called I, me a Nazi here in front I, of everybody. <laughs> I, I disagreed. I disagreed more with the filmmakers than with you as to what was accomplished by this movie. I I I I think I'm willing to agree that they meant something to to happen, but I don't think they got there. All right. Well, I mean, I, that's I think that's a very fair interpretation. But look at me being passive. Maybe I should push back a little harder. Yeah, tell Maybe me that's... I'm full of shit. <laughs> Say, "Oh, that's fair, Liam, but you're full of shit." Unfortunately, I have ass. too much respect for your intelligence. I just can't do it. But I think we need to take ourselves a little break. We're going to be back pretty soon with a regular Cinema Smorgasbord episode. I know people are very depressed about that, but Liam, if people want to check out more from Cinema Smorgasbord, our latest episodes, or even check out our past Halloween episodes, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can, of course, uh, head on over to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com, where they can find our latest episodes and, of course, a whole family of podcasts. Uh, Cinepunks has also got a server on Discord now. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to welcome you over there hit us up for more info uh if they want to dive into our archives doug i think the best place for that is our website cinemasmorgasbord.com where we have all the episodes broken down by the specific topics that we cover and you can choose where to start and what to listen to along those lines um they can follow us on uh socials uh specifically twitter at cinemasmorg s-m-o-r-g and they of course can follow cinepunks on instagram facebook and twitter C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. 
You can follow Liam on Twitter as well, at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Chili. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Or even better, why don't you tell a friend and say, hey, you should be listening to these Cinema Smorgasbord dorks. They like the same shit that you like. They love George Kennedy and Carol Kane. They have podcasts that are so specific that no one could ever enjoy them, just like you. Uh, and yeah, do that. Make sure that your friends are listening. Uh, we appreciate every single time that you mention us on social media or elsewhere. But for now, Liam, we need to say goodnight. I want everyone listening to have a very spooky Halloween. Or if you're listening to this afterwards, next year have a nice spooky Halloween. And maybe check out these two movies and tell us what you think. Good night, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.